0: Let's pray, and we'll ask God to help us. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us this morning to understand your word. We pray that uh, you'll strengthen us by your spirit, so we worship you acceptably. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to worship God acceptably? What does God uh, want from us in terms of worship? What kind of worship will God accept from us? Uh, I take responsibility for the, the, the shape of our church gatherings here on Sundays. I basically determine the style of what we do. And over the last 20 years, I, I should say, I've had a steady stream of what I call concerned critics. Uh, people who feel that the way we do church here is not as acceptable to God as it could be. The concerned critics fall into basically two categories. On the one hand, there are people who, who lean more to what, what you might call the, the charismatic style. People like that often criticise me. Uh, they say that our church is too structured, uh, too constrained, too formal. They say, we need, they say we need to sing for longer and we need to get into the emotion more. Uh, raise our hands, dance, dance express our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ instead of looking like we've sucked a lemon or something like that. Uh, They say that we need to allow more space for people to contribute as the Holy Spirit leads them. Don't worry so much about following a fixed order of service. We should have opportunity for people to to get in and to, to prophesy or exercise other spiritual gifts. Uh, some people, over the years, some people who hold to this kind of view, they've told me that in our church we are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit and we, we, we lack the joy of our salvation. On the other hand, uh, there are people who lean more to what I would call a traditional style. Uh, people like that often criticise me as well. Uh, they say that our church is irreverent. Uh, some have said over the years that I should be wearing clerical robes. It's disgraceful that I would wear jeans. I should at least wear a suit. Uh, There are people who've left this church over the years because the children are too noisy and disruptive. And again, there's criticism of the music. Uh, Some people don't like the use of instruments, like drums. Uh, Some people would rather that we sang older style songs. People like this in the past have told me that uh, in our church we are disrespecting the holiness of God. We're failing to reflect the majesty of his we wouldn't have enough a sense of his awesome majesty. This is a much debated topic among Christians. It's a matter of deep concern to many people, including to me. And and it flows from this important question. What does it mean to worship God acceptably? Well, as we've seen many times uh, in our series so far in this book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to some Jewish Christians. They were Jewish people who'd put their faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Uh, but as we've seen over these last few weeks, they're facing all kinds of trouble. They're being persecuted for having become Christians, and they're getting pretty sick of it. They're being tempted. They're, they're tempted... To to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism, to stop being Jewish Christians and just go back to being Jews. Over and over again, through this book, the author has contrasted Old Covenant Judaism with New Covenant Christianity, and he's shown time and time again, as Brian was telling us before, time and time again, how Jesus is better. Jesus is better than every aspect of the Old Testament, he's a better priest. A better temple or tabernacle, a better sacrifice, a better Moses, a better revelation from God. He's the mediator of a new and better covenant. A covenant through which we're forgiven and transformed so that we can be in the presence of God forever. Well now here in chapter 12, the author makes another contrast between Old Covenant Judaism and New Covenant Christianity. And and he he does it by talking about two mountains. Two mountains. The NIV heading there. It uh, describes them as the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. That's that's a pretty good summary. First mountain. Uh, First mountain represents the old covenant, Old Testament Judaism. Uh, In the Old Testament, God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses at a mountain, Mount Sinai. On your outline, there, I've put the account of what happened from the book of Exodus. And notice as we read how scary the whole scene is. It's really scary. And, and notice in particular one big point. One big point. There's no one on the mountain. The mountain is empty of people. The people are not allowed to come near God. If they come near God, God will kill them. God is holy. The people are not holy. They are sinful. And so if they come near, they will die. There on your outline. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai on the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Can you imagine being there? That's scary stuff. And did you see? No one can come near, with the exception of Moses. No one can come near. Sinners in the Old Testament are not welcome to draw near to God. It reminds me I have to say, do you remember uh, back in chapter uh, 9 of Hebrews where he was talking about the Old Testament tabernacle, the author was talking about the tabernacle, and remember he was saying that in the holiest place, no one was allowed in. No one was allowed in. And and the author said that this was to show that under the Old Covenant, and I quote, the way into the most holy place is, had not yet been disclosed. In other words, people were not welcome into the presence of God. Well, here in chapter 12, the author describes what happened on Mount Sinai back in the book of Exodus. And he says this, he says, becoming a Christian is not like this. It's not like coming to Mount Sinai. It's not a situation where God is terrifyingly holy and you're a sinner who's not invited to come near but becoming a Christian it's different to Israel to Israel's experience under Moses Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 have a look with me Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. If you had to give a modern picture of this mountain, I think... It would be the same picture that we had with the, tab- the tabernacle that we talked about in chapter 9, remember, uh, with the nuclear sign. I think if you have to give a modern picture of this, it, it, it's something like a nuclear zone with big signs up everywhere. Keep out! Stay away! You're not welcome! Come in here to the holy presence of God and you're dead! The author says, that's not what it's like to become a Christian. The new covenant is not like the old covenant. Becoming a Christian is not a terrifying experience of sinners being unwelcome in the presence of a holy God. No, no, the author says. The author says it's more like coming to a different mountain to Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, of course, is the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem stands. Uh, But the author's not talking about the Mount Zion here on earth. He's using Mount Zion as an image to describe coming into the presence of God through Jesus. Uh, Ultimately coming into the presence of God in the new heaven and earth. But even now, coming into the presence of God through Jesus. He says, coming to Mount Zion is not a terrifying experience for an unforgiven sinner. No way. This mountain is, as the NIV heading puts it, a mountain of joy. Uh, This Mount Zion is not empty. It is chock-a-block full of creatures, thousands of angels rejoicing, Uh, thousands, millions of people delighting in the presence of God because they have been perfected and they are welcome. Uh, Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Uh, this mountain is not like a nuclear zone. It's, it's, more like, it's more like some kind of a fun park. I mean, think... Think Luna Park, okay, with a big smiley face welcoming you in, and with happy, smiling angels and people all having a delightful time, riding the dodgems or whatever they're doing, <laughs> and it's all through Jesus and His sacrifice. Jesus shed His blood on that cross. Jesus rose again from the dead, and now He mediates. He brings in this glorious new covenant now he promises to forgive and transform his people so they can rejoice and delight in the presence of god on this mountain verse 24 on this mountain you come to jesus the mediator of a new covenant it's all through jesus all through his sacrifice and i just i love this last expression the author says that we've come to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, the image here, it takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to Genesis chapter four. Uh, Abraham has, uh, not Abraham, Adam. Adam has two sons called Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. God questions Cain about it. Cain tries to get out of it, but God says this, and I've put it on your outline, God says to Cain. the Lord said, "What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. It cried out for justice. It cried out that sin be punished. It cried out that you've got to go away. But Jesus' blood shed on the cross speaks a better word. Jesus' blood sprinkled to establish this new covenant, it speaks a better word. Uh, Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for justice, for vengeance, not like Abel's blood. No, no, Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. Jesus' blood cries out, welcome. Uh, Jesus' blood turns the mountain of fear into this mountain of joy. Verse 24 again, you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, becoming a Christian, it's it's not like being a Jew. It's a whole different thing. You don't come as a sinner, unable to enter God's presence. You don't have to come with animal sacrifices. You, You come as God's forgiven, transformed and transforming child joyfully welcomed into the presence of God it's great news great news if you're a Christian magnificent news but if like the original readers of Hebrews you're a Jewish Christian being tempted to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism just being Jewish well it's a strong warning isn't it all these things that God has done, all these glorious things, it would be a really really bad idea to go back. Uh, The author tells his readers, he says you must not refuse God's call to stick with Jesus. It was a terrible thing for a Jew in Moses' day to reject God after he'd spoken to them on Mount Sinai. It was an even more terrible thing for a Christian to turn away from God who has spoken to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Back then, the author says, God shook a mountain, Mount Sinai. But, but through Jesus, he says, God's going to shake everything. He's going he's to bring this whole world to an end. He's going to transform everything and, and, and bring in a new heaven and earth. Through Jesus The only thing that will remain, the only thing that will survive is God's kingdom and his rule. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, on Mount Sinai, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven when God warns us through Jesus? At that time, on Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, from the prophet Haggai, once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain a new creation. And so the author gives his conclusion, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have a place in his eternal, unshakable kingdom. That is magnificent, it's wonderful, we should be so thankful. But at at the same time we've got to be so careful. We must not refuse or reject the God who calls us into his kingdom through Jesus because this same God is the same terrifying judge and you do not want to face him without Jesus. God is a a terrifying, holy God who at the same time has graciously loved us and forgiven us and welcomes us as his children. How do you respond then to a God like that? Well, the author calls on his readers to worship God acceptably. That is, in context, stick with Jesus and don't go back and, and be both reverent and thankful. Both are appropriate. Verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. When my kids were little we used to be zoo friends, along with many people in the church here. We'd often go to Taronga Zoo, probably about once a week, and uh, there are lots of animals at Taronga Zoo that my kids loved to look at, but I'd have to say that probably their favourite was the saltwater crocodile. Uh, There are two saltwater crocodiles at Taronga Zoo and the male is absolutely enormous, uh, from nose to tail, I don't, I don't think you'd fit it on this platform. It is gigantic. Now, one section of the crocodile's cage, it's, it's in a couple of sections, there's sort of a, a watery section. If you show up and the crocodile's under the water, you never even see it, which is very disturbing when you've got four little children. Um, but th- 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 there's, there's one section of the crocodile cage. It's set up like a sandy beach and there's a large glass wall. Now, remember, sometimes we'd go to the... and, and the crocodile would be sunning itself on the sand and its head would be right up against the glass wall. Best day ever. Uh, my kids thought it was the greatest thing. Uh, they, they would lean with their faces right up against the wall, uh, just a couple of centimetres away from this animal, and they would be squealing with delight. I reckon it's a bit of a picture of the worship that the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Uh, my kids would joyfully in the presence of this crocodile, delighted at being in his presence. They felt no fear. that They were thankful to be there. And yet at the same time, they could sense the awesome power and danger of this crocodile. And they knew that if they didn't come into the presence of the crocodile in the right way, that is with a thick glass wall between them, they knew if they came in any other way, they would be destroyed. Through Jesus, we can come joyfully, safely into the presence of God. We can and we will delight forever in being with him. We will feel no fear. We'll be thankful to be there, squealing with delight. But at the same time, we'll always know that God is awesomely powerful and dangerous. And if we don't come into his presence the right way, that is through Jesus alone. If we don't come into his presence through Jesus alone... We'll be destroyed. All right. Okay, you see what's here in this passage today? It's pretty vivid, isn't it? This picture of uh, this contrast, the author contrasts Mount Sinai with Mount Zion, the old covenant with the new covenant. The contrast couldn't be any greater, could it? It's nuclear zone versus lunar park, mountain of fear versus mountain of joy. Great news for a Christian. If you come to Jesus, you're coming to a mountain of joy, But there's that warning, isn't there? And the readers and we, we've got to heed the warning. They must not give up on Jesus. In Jesus they have an eternal hope, an eternal kingdom. They've got to come to God through Jesus alone. Worship God acceptably through Jesus alone. With with, with thanks and with joy and also with reverence and awe. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves today. Now, to do that, I want us to come back to the question that we asked at the beginning What does it mean to worship God acceptably? What does it mean to worship God acceptably? Now, by far the most important thing to say is this You worship God acceptably by putting your faith in Jesus. You worship God acceptably by putting your faith in Jesus. Would it be more theologically accurate? Jesus worshipped God acceptably by his life, death, and resurrection, and by putting our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit unites us with him, and his worship is accepted as ours. So it's a bit of a mouthful. We worship God acceptably through Jesus. Now, Jesus is a bit like that glass wall on the crocodile exhibit. Through Jesus, we can approach God without fear. Through Jesus, we can approach God with joy and delight. You know, I reckon that. Uh, whatever form of church worship we've got to keep this in mind on the charismatic side if you think that you're coming into the presence of god through singing or anything like that you just need to be a bit careful the only way that you can come to god is through jesus it's only through jesus that our worship is acceptable not through some ecstatic experience i vividly remember one time being in a in a, a charismatic service, and they sang the same song 28 times. I was counting. <laughs> uh, it was actually words from this uh, this um, passage. They were singing about our God as a consuming fire. He rains through all the earth, over and over and over again. People rolling their eyes and the backs of their heads, and, and and the leader was saying, "Can you feel the presence of God among us?" Ba ba. That is not the presence of God among you. That is the feeling you get when you sing a song over and over and over again until your eyes roll into the back of your head. <laughs> Similarly, for those on the more traditional side, if you think that you are coming into the presence of God because you've got that sense of awe, being in a beautiful cathedral or hearing a choir or, or organ and, and beautiful old hymns or something like that, you've just got to be very careful. It is only through Jesus that our worship is acceptable, not through an experience of, an, of awe, a, a so-called numinous experience. That, that, that feeling of awe that you get sitting in a beautiful cathedral with a choir singing, it's not the presence of God, that is the feeling of awe that you get when you sit in a beautiful building with a choir singing. These two ways of worship, they're often pitted against each other, but in fact the danger with both of them is the same. It's the danger of what theologians call mysticism. The idea that we come into the presence of God through some experience or feeling rather than through Jesus. The way to worship God acceptably is to trust Jesus who worshipped God on your behalf when he died and rose again for you. That is fundamental. That's, That's the beginning and end of it. And I should stop talking here. But I won't. Because I want to think about what that should mean for us here in church. What does it mean that we should do when we come together? I reckon there's actually plenty of freedom on this. But for what it's worth, here are a few thoughts. The Bible does talk about singing. Singing's great. The Bible certainly talks about listening to God through his word with trusting, obedient hearts, willing to put into practice what we learn. The Bible talks about, in Hebrews, it talks about meeting together to encourage each other and to spur each other on to love and good deeds. All these aspects are good. They're all important. We should try to do all of these things. And, and here in our passage today, the Bible talks about worshipping with thankfulness and with joy and also with reverence and with awe. These are all biblical ideas and we do want to try to give expression to them in what we do when we come together. But again, hear this. With all of this stuff, it is much more about what is happening in our hearts than what's happening in our order of service. Do you get what I'm saying? You can be in the most beautiful traditional cathedral in the world with the most glorious organ and choir, but if in your heart you are not trusting Jesus and thankfully and reverently coming before God, you're doing no good at all. You can be in the most passionate ecstasies of singing and jumping around, but if in your heart you are not trusting Jesus and coming to God with thankfulness and reverence, you're doing no good at all. Now, personally, I think that it is possible with what we do uh, together, week by week, for us to encourage each other. It's possible. You might be encouraged by what happens. You might encourage somebody else by your singing or by talking to the morning tea it's possible with the right heart state that we can encourage each other here i think it's possible for us to listen humbly to god's word in a way that does change our lives and grow us in faith in christ if we come with the right hearts i think it's possible for us here to respond to god with joy and with reverence probably not if we've rushed in 15 minutes late from having everything go wrong but with prepared hearts i think it's possible to worship God here with joy and with reverence through the Lord Jesus. Now, i got to say, I wouldn't mind seeing some more reverence. wouldn't mind seeing people show up 10 minutes early instead of 15 minutes late and preparing their hearts. I think we can be too casual in our approach as if we're approaching some mate instead of the holy, awesome God of the universe. I wouldn't mind seeing some more joy and emotion. I think we can be a bit inhibited, I agree with the sentiments of many of my concerned critics over the years. But the reality is it's all about our hearts. Much more about our hearts than our order of service. And so it's important that we do prepare our hearts week by week. Think about what we're doing. Who are we coming to meet with? A final thing I want to say about acceptable worship is this, and we're going to cover this over the next couple of weeks as we look at chapter 13. Acceptable worship is much more than what we do together in church. Acceptable worship is how we live Monday to Saturday, not just what we do on Sunday. As I say, that's chapter 13. We'll think about it the next couple of weeks. Friends, uh, we worship a God who is a consuming fire, a terrifying holy judge. Don't forget it. We We worship a God who loves us, who the, through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus welcomes us into his presence without fault and with great joy. Don't forget it. So friends, let's worship him acceptably. Let's come to him through Jesus alone with thankfulness and joy. Let's come to him through Jesus alone with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the extraordinary privilege it is that we could come into your presence We acknowledge that it's only through the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again from the dead for us. We thank you that by trusting him we're united to him and his worship is accepted as ours so that you do accept us. Do please help us to trust Jesus, to never ever dare to come to you in any other way than through him. Lord, week by week as we try to express our trust in Jesus, we help us to have well-prepared hearts so that we do thank you and rejoice in you and so that we do reflect on your awesome majesty as well. Help us in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.